Welcome in to another Baseball America Top 10 Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are here to break down the Pittsburgh Pirates and their farm system today. We know you all have been patient while we waited for Josh Norris to get back from vacation. He did the Pirates chapter for us, and he is joining us today, freshly relaxed from uh, a few weeks off. Josh, thank you for joining us. Relaxed is a relative term, but and fresh is too. So uh, I, I'm back at the very least. That's That part's accurate. Um, we're hard work in the directory, and now we're going to go look back at the, the handbook and the Pirates chapter. Josh, since Ben Charrington took over at the end of the 2019 season, he immediately came in, steered them into a rebuild, traded Starling Marte, eventually traded Josh Bell, Joe Musgrove, uh, some of kind of the, the standouts on the Pirates. And it's been a multi-year buildup. We saw them take steps forward year by year a little bit. When you look at their winning percentages, they only won 19 games in the shortened 2020 season, which got them number one overall pick, jumped to 61 wins, then 62 wins. And last year they went 76 and 86. It was their most wins since 2018. And we saw a lot of the players who have been staples of their top 10 prospects rankings in previous years make their debuts. We saw Henry Davis, the number one overall pick in 2021, make his debut. We saw Nick Gonzalez make his debut. We saw Andy Rodriguez, a top 100 prospect, make his debut. A lot of these guys struggled, but again, it's their first taste of the majors. You don't worry about it. We saw guys like Mitch Keller continue to take steps forward. Brian Hayes had a solid year. Brian Reynolds continued to be a standout. So we are seeing some upward progress for the Pirates at the same time. Whenever you go into a rebuild by about year four or five is when you want to start seeing a team compete for a playoff spot. And we're about to hit that time frame here in the Ben Charrington era. How do you kind of assess the Pirates organization overall, and are they ready to take that next step to a winning season and potentially contending for a postseason spot here in 2024? I don't think so, um, especially considering one of those key pieces, Andy Rodriguez, is going to miss the 2024 season after having what I assume was Tommy John surgery on his elbow, so that's a big step back. Uh, he had he had an in injury in winter ball, and uh, so he's out till 2025, which kind of puts a hole in their catching depth too and obviously henry davis has pretty much moved to right field permanently so that's kind of a bummer um and the way the system is constructed right now it's a little more pitching heavy than it would be on, on the bats um i think you guys all know the names on the pitching side but it's also the, the lack of bats is also a function of guys like andy rodriguez and henry davis graduating and jared triolo and guys like that, like, you know, I would, I do another system where it's basically the same idea, but they didn't graduate. So their system looks a little stronger. Um, so this when I was doing this list, which kind of came about on very short notice. I think I had like, you know, I just came about very late in the process. Um, it, it really struck out to me that there's a lot of pitching and the bats are pretty thin right now in the system. Yeah, it's a good point to make in regards to the top 10. I, I do think I could see a scenario, though, where you kind of alluded to this. A lot of the hitters have graduated. Um, you, you obviously, O'Neill Cruz was a number one prospect yeah. for a very long time. Very exciting. Only played nine games last year. Had that unfortunate collision at the plate. Fractured Sibula. He'll be back. And again, I, I think you can see a scenario where a lot of those guys we talked about take a step forward in year two. You mentioned Jared Triolo. It was actually pretty solid in a 54-game sample. So I, I could see a scenario where the bats take a step forward in the majors and then this pitching group continues to progress in the minors given a weak NL Central playoff field. 
What would need to happen in your estimation for this team to take that jump? I mean, Cruz is a pretty good key there. I mean, he stay healthy, obviously, and produce like he can. Um, last year was going to be pretty key for him, would have been pretty key for him because he needed those big league bats to develop, and he didn't get them. So this year is going to be the you know, that that year, um, which is unfortunate. So he would he could have been if he had developed like they thought he might. He might have been a true lineup centerpiece this year instead of one who could be in the future. They also need some pitching to step forward. Um, you know, they've got some guys, but you know, some of these like, like Quinn Priester is a guy who who is on the list, I believe, if I remember correctly, he the next out he gets, he will graduate from prospect status. Yes. Um, he you know needs to take that step into being a reliable rotation piece and you know, it's up and down last year. Um, and they've got some other guys coming that uh, you know. Y'all know the names. We'll see if Paul Skeens gets there this year. Um, you know, he's obviously the, the number one prospect. Although, you know, I hot take here. I think Bubba Chandler's a little closer than many think to Paul Skeens. I, I really like him. I understand his year was not great um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, pitchers in Greensboro don't generally have a good time. Uh, I've heard, the, the way I've heard it described is they, they, they'll throw the ball, and then if it's hit in the air, they kind of wince until it inevitably pops pop-ups go out in that park. So that's a little bit of a, a problem there, but he's athletic and he's got really good stuff. And was a little, little more behind uh, the development track because he's been hitting up until last year, last year focusing on pitching, you know, there's a little more rawness to polish off. Uh, I think his ceiling is really, really high. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a really, really, really good starter down the line, but kind of circling back to your point, they just need some of these guys to step up and solidify, um, the rotation. Yeah, again, we've seen Mitch Keller take some steps forward, which is nice. Luis Ortiz did some okay things last year. It wasn't great, but there's something to work with there. Rancy Contreras struggled a little bit. I, I will say Johan Oviedo, that trade looks good. And as you mentioned, Quinn Priester, again, this is a very young Pirates team, so it's understandable a lot of these guys would have just ups and downs, initial struggles. But as you mentioned, it is important that they take steps forward next year. And also, some injections from the farm system. And that leads us to Paul Skeens, the number one overall pick in the 2023 draft, the second number one overall pick the Pirates had in three years, had one of the best collegiate seasons of all time, set a new SEC record for strikeouts in a season, led LSU to the College World Series championship, led the nation in whip, was second in ERA, second in opponent's average. Uh, it was dominant stuff. You'd see him sitting 98 and touching 100 late in games, filthy slider, Really got some very, very loud reviews from evaluators on the amateur side. Made his debut, a lot of short outings. What were some of the initial impressions of Paul Skeens in pro ball? And just kind of what are sort of the thoughts about how quickly he could potentially reach the majors? I mean, there's hard to get really any initial looks at him because he, he had the tune-ups at the lower levels where if you are from LSU and you are the number one overall pick, you, you should probably just go ahead and bully those kids. And, and he did. Um, I think he I think his highlight was he did strike out Walker Jenkins, I think, on like three pitches in some game that was a YouTube stream, if I remember correctly. And he was okay in double A, but you know, you're at the end of a very long season, the longest season a college pitcher can have, because he got to the you know, got to the World Series. Um, and then, you know, got his tune up in pro ball, got his feet wet. We'll see what he truly looks like this year. I was a little disappointed that uh, he was shut down right before the potential matchup with Dylan Cruz because they were in a series with Harrisburg. And I believe both teams have kind of promoted that, like number one versus number two, and then he got shut down. Um, the, the, the questions with him are, 
what's it going to look like on a pro routine? Because if I remember correctly, and obviously I don't know about what they're going to do this year, but the Pirates do five-man um, in the minors. So they, you know, instead of starting guys once a week, you'll occasionally get a guy starting two. Um, what's it going to look like? You know, there have been lots of questions with the fastball. How's it going to, you're going to adjust that shape. You're going to give them a two-seamer, and they were pretty coy about that. But I think they acknowledge that there's going to have to be something done there. Um, but he seems pretty close to the big leagues if everything goes well. I wouldn't say he's, you know, a guy I would start there on opening day or anything, but he's probably the closest guy in the system to the minor, uh, to the big leagues. Yeah, I want to talk about the fastball a little bit because it's explosive velocity. It played undoubtedly in college. Some of the more analytic types who look at data don't love the shape. They think it's a little bit flat, maybe stays over the plate a little more than they would like to see and, and have some concerns about how it'll play in the program. There are plenty of times a pitch doesn't look great on an Excel spreadsheet, but it plays in the major leagues with how it's located, how he mix it with his other pitches. And when you just watch him play, that thing certainly works. What are the concerns about the fastball exactly? And, and why do they feel like they need to make changes? I mean, I don't know if they are going to necessarily do that, but I mean, you hit on it. It's a little bit flat and, you know, very, very small sample size in double A, but uh, he got, he got hit a little bit there. Double um, A Eastern league is, is better than the SEC and the hitters there are better than the SEC. Now I, I granted you earlier at the earlier in this podcast, that it was a very, um, small sample and he was at the very end of the long season, but we'll see how that plays. Um, if you need, it's, it's not an unsolvable problem. Certainly there's in this day and age, you can tweak a pitcher's shape all you want and find something. I mean, I do another system with the Rangers and they have a right-hander named Emiliano Tioto, whose four seam fastball was getting torched. We gave him a two seam fastball and it was unhittable. So like, these are, these are things that uh, smart teams can do. It can fix these things. Um, we'll see. Like it's very early in his career. It's not a problem I'd really worry about because a, you know, it might be flat, but it's also like upper nineties touching a hundred a lot, and that tends to work. I mean, hitters can hit that that uh, that kind of velocity, but not as not as well as you'd think. Um, so I'm not really worried about him, but it'll be an interesting thing to watch. I'm especially interested to see where he's assigned. I mean, probably double A makes more sense. But, you know, if you put him in AAA, that works too. And it might depend on how he looks in big league spring training, where I assume he will wind up in a month or so. Yeah, again, it's all there. I think it's something that um, I know I personally am not concerned about at all. And, and I think there's a very good chance he fulfills projections as a front of rotation starter. What really stood out to me was throughout the draft process, just asking high-level evaluators the question, is Paul Skeens the best starting pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg, Garrett Cole, that group? And is Dylan Cruz the best offensive prospect since Adley Rutschman, Chris Bryant? And when I asked people about Dylan Cruz, there was very split opinions, and it leaned toward no just because they talked about Dylan Cruz is fantastic, but Adley Rutschman and Chris Bryant were outliers, and Cruz didn't quite reach that level. But when I asked him about Skeens, if he was on the same level as Strasburg, Cole, et cetera, it was unanimously, yes, that he is that level of pitcher. You know, Mark Pryor can throw in there as well. So, and these are high level evaluators with a long track record of being right. So I, I think whatever nitpicks you want to throw on him, I, I think he'll be fine. You mentioned Bubba Chandler was closer than maybe some might think from the outside looking in. And you made the point, his overall performance at Greensboro was not great. 
However, I, I kind of got the same reviews you did where evaluators really liked what they saw. Again, Bubba Chandler was a former two-way player who was also scheduled to uh, go play quarterback at Clemson. He was a little bit raw, but now he's focusing solely on pitching and starting to come together. There's still some things to iron out there, but but there's a lot to work with. Got up to double A at the very end of the year for one start. It was a really good start. What were the overall reviews on Bubba Chandler? And, and you mentioned it's kind of close. How close is it? I mean, I wouldn't didn't consider him number one, obviously. I, I don't have the, uh, the stones to do that, to put uh, Bubba Chandler over the number one overall pick in the uh, in the minor leagues or in the, in the draft. But, you know, my archetype that I really like is athletics and two-way background. You know, I, I really am a sucker for those type of things, and that's there. Like, he's an athletic guy. He's got two-way background. There's a lot of stuff there that you really like. It's about polishing. And when you see it on the right day, it's really, really good. I didn't get to see him as much as I'd like this year, despite the fact that he was in Greensboro for almost all the year, the entire year. I think he made one start at Altoona. I did find the uh, A scout who saw him there and was uh, bowled over by how, how well he pitched. Granted, I think it was five no-hit innings with eight punch-outs. So, you know, that's pretty good. That'll play. Um, you know, he's... He's got a lot of he's got a high ceiling, but a, long, uh, a bit of a way to go to reach it. But that stuff is really nasty when it's right. And, you know, they've worked on getting him to, you know, have more command uh, than he had in the past. That was a big bugaboo in Greensboro. Um, but, yeah, it was it was an easy number two. put it that way. I didn't consider really anybody else for number two in that system. Yeah, and we talk about polishing and just continue to get better, especially now that he's focusing solely on pitching. He finished the year very, very strong, which I think is really, really encouraging. Again, we're talking about a young guy who's kind of coming into his own. After the All-Star break last year, he had a 1.66 ERA, held batters to a 163 batting average, 503 OPS, really, really just dominated after the All-Star break. And I think that's the kind of progression you want to see. Again, Paul Skeens is considered a, a potential number one starter in the major leagues and, and realistically a, a number two at worst, I think. Well, again, you never want to say, oh, someone's a number three star, that's a disappointment. All the ingredients are there for Paul Skeens to be a number one, number two starter in the big leagues. What is the ceiling on Bubba Chandler as presently seen by evaluators? Number two, number three starter. He, he could be really, really, really good. Like He might not be Skeens good, but he's... He has the potential to be nasty, man. Yeah, and again, this is a good place to start with these two pitching prospects, both of whom will be squarely in the top 100. Uh, Paul Skeens likely will be top 10 overall. And uh, again, you mentioned there's a lot of other good pitchers in this system, as well as some interesting position players who had years that I want to talk to you about. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to dive right back into the rest of this top 10. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website, I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to the Baseball America Top 10 Pirates Prospects Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Josh Norris. All right, Josh, before the break, we talked about Paul Skeens and Bubba Chandler, the top two prospects in the system. Again, Skeens, the number one overall pick in 2023, considered one of the best pitching prospects to come through in years. Bubba Chandler, who the surface level numbers weren't great, but the scouting reports were great. You look at the progression over the course of the season, it was really, really promising. There's a lot of arms in this top 10. You have guys like Jared Jones and Anthony Solomedo. But I want to talk to you about the top-ranked position player in this top 10, and that's Tamar Johnson. Johnson was considered arguably the best pure hitter in the 2022 draft class, high school or college, was taken by the Pirates fourth overall. There, In some quarters, he was considered potentially a, a number one overall pick. Went on his first full year, and it was not as strong as hoped. Now, some of that early on was he was in the Florida State League, which is a notoriously difficult place to hit. Finished the year at Greensboro, so he got to high A. You know, base percentage was good. The power was there, but but the approach drew a lot of critical reviews from evaluators, and the pure hit was just not what anyone thought it was going to be or hoped it would be. What is the outlook for Tamar Johnson now? Because I feel like as much as people can look at the on-base and the slug and say it was a good OPS, there's a pure hit element that wasn't there for evaluators watching him. What were kind of the reviews you were getting, and what is his outlook right now? I'm going to say that I don't know what it is. And a lot of it determined depends on how he decides to progress in the course of his career. So basically the way I was, was explained to me was he has the potential to be a very good hitter, or he has the potential to be a very good power hitter. I don't think he can do both. Um, You know, you didn't see the, it, it looked like in Greensboro from, from evaluators, that he might have been trying to hit the ball to the downs all the time. And you can do that in Greensboro. You could probably hit 40 bombs if you're in Greensboro and you try to pull it out all the time. Uh, You're probably going to hit for a low average, but you can do that. But he still has those gifts. He still has the special hands, the ability to take balls deep and flick them the other way and do all those things. But it might come at the expense of that power. So when I initially submitted the grades for Tamar, I had six hit and six power because I didn't know how to parse it. I think he can do both those things. I don't think he can do them in concert. So I didn't know how to grade it when I don't know the way he's going to kind of develop as a hitter. Is he going to focus on being more of a complete hitter at the sacrifice of 10, let's say 10 home runs, or is he going to sacrifice some average at the expense of 10 more home runs? 
I don't know. He's got the gifts to do both those things, but maybe not at the same time. And you know, even last year when I was talking to someone uh, about him for a league list or something, I don't remember what the, the, the context it came up with. And it, it was kind of explained that it was going to be a little bit of a slower burn with Termar than it might be with you know a guy you expect taken in that position. And that's kind of what it's turned out to be. Uh, I didn't get as long a look personally as I would have liked to because when I went to see him, he played one game and then he played the next game and he got hit in the hand. And I thought he was going to be out for the season, quite frankly, with as much pain as he looked like he was in. Uh, he played a couple of days later, but I only got a game and a half of him last year. Um, so I, I'll probably get more of him this year if he comes back to Greensboro. But that's a long way of saying his future is whatever he wants it to be. And I don't know. I can't get inside his head. Yeah, and, and we see that sometimes. Really, really talented contact hitters start trying to hit for power in the low minors, and they kind of lose what made them so special to begin with. Um, it's I, I, oh, it's really interesting in that league because I mentioned Greensboro is a bandbox. So is Asheville. So is Hickory. There are lots of ballparks in that particular league that can – lure a hitter into trying to just hit it out uh, every time like there hickory is just as bad I and mean, i watched a, a game and a half there it rained i think i saw 11 home runs and i heard the teams combined for 36 in the games that they played um asheville is pretty famous for being a band box so there's a lot of places that can trick hitters into getting out of their approach now you go to the northern part of that league it's the other it's the other way around especially early in the season like you know Trying to play in Jersey Shore in April is unfun. Um, but that was just kind of a side note. So it, it'll be very interesting to see the way Termar goes, especially this year, when he probably will split it between Greensboro and, if everything goes well, uh, um, Altoona. Josh, two prospects who have been staples this top 10, we talked about them a little bit earlier, made their major league debuts, still are prospect eligible and are in the top 10, still are Quinn Priester and Nick Gonzalez. Both of them were first round picks. At various points, they've been in the top 100. As they moved up the minors, there was a sense that maybe the overall potential was not as great as initially thought at various points in their amateur and, and low minor league careers. They both got to the major leagues, had some early struggles, what is the outlook for these two right now? Because I feel like at one point there was a sense that these two could be maybe not franchise cornerstones, but above average everyday players that would at the very least be staples of the Pirates lineup and rotation. Now it feels like they might be more bit players. What is the outlook for these two right now? Priester had a weird year last year. Um, a lot of it was because his fastball velocity was down to begin the year. Um, they tweaked some of his mechanics in the lower half and they got a little bit of it back. Um, and uh, they internally they believe he they had to try to get him to trust his slider a little bit more, throwing it more with more conviction instead of babying it. That's part of it. Um, so once he gets his mechanics and I guess conviction back within himself, you might see something closer to what we saw in what was it 2021 uh, when he was in the low minor. Let's see, yeah, it might be in 2021, 2019 that that general region um, for him to. He's probably not going to be, you know, Bubba Chandler, Paul Skeen at this point, but he could be a rotation piece in the back end. And Gonzalez, I mean, it's the same song and dance with him. It's, it's, the swing is too steep. It's just, it's got holes and it's gotten a little bit better. 
um, but it's not gotten good enough. And he, you know, in his first trip to the big leagues, it didn't go well. Um, and it kind of showed him where the holes are. And he needs to, to get a little more uh, linear path going for him to be able to hit. I mean, I, I got fooled by it for sure. I thought that was a pretty looking swing from the open side. But it's got some holes and it needs to be fixed. And it's not progressed the way it needs to be. He's got you know, what, a few more bats before he graduates too. Like it's not quite as severe as Priester where, you know, like I said, one out and he's done. Um, but I, I don't think he's, you know, the everyday second baseman in that system, but he's, I gave him, I try to weigh ceiling and proximity as best I can in these things. Um, and he does have some ceiling, but he does have a lot of proximity. So I expect him to play a bit of a role this year. Um, but that swing's just got to get better. Yeah. I, I talk about sometimes, you know, smaller guys who are gifted natural hitters, they start trying to hit for power artificially and it, kind of cost them what made them good in the first place and seeing Nick Gonzalez's swing at New Mexico State versus when I saw it in the fall league uh, in 2022 and then the majors last year it, you're right it's gone the wrong way he needs to flatten that thing out and focus on being a contact hitter and let the power come from picking out pitches to drive and, and just getting stronger as opposed to trying to manufacture loft and power and again I, I think that's one of the things we look at a lot of these pirates hitting prospects have made their debuts and it hasn't looked great always offensively, and that's something they're going to have to fix. Is there anything going on in their hitting development that you see or any trends that that evaluators have raised as concerning at all? Not that I would be aware of, no. like I, The only thing I mentioned with Nick Gonzalez is, you know, I've mentioned it before, Greensboro, man. <laughs> when he was there, he was the cat's meow. I mean, he could, you know, miss hit balls out of the op. I saw him take a ball off the top of the video board opposite way but you don't have to be superman to do that at that ballpark and it gets you out of your approach and tricks you into thinking you're a little bit better than you are i mean i don't know how, i don't know how to change that they're going to be at greensboro for the the foreseeable future but that's that's a tricky part man um i don't i you know like i said this is my first year doing the system ever so i wouldn't have a whole lot of insight into what's going on with the hitting department um trend wise but certainly no, nobody really raised any flags to me uh that there's this one gaping flaw josh moving through this top 10 there are some players here who have had good seasons you look at sung che chang his nickname is z just call him that just call him z all right braxton ashcraft uh, again someone else that has certainly done some good things at, at times uh, had tommy john surgery but came back in 2023 and and you've seen the flashes how would you assess the depth of this system? Because again, at the top, you have Paul Skeens and Bubba Chandler, who are top 100 prospects. Jared Jones is another very, very talented pitcher. Anthony Solomedo did some good things last year. So again, you have a good group of pitching prospects at the top with some ceiling and, and who are in top 100 consideration. How do you assess the depth of, of both the top 10 and the top 30 overall? Because again, the Pirates are a team that is going to rely on homegrown talent more than signing free agents. So they need that depth. The, the top 10 is pretty good. I, I, the, the pitching is pretty good. You know, we you touched on Jared Jones a little bit. He, he's been a favorite of some scouts. I know um, he, I, I could, if, if they were doing this list, I wouldn't be surprised if they ranked him number two. Solomato pretty darn good too. I saw him carve up a really good bowling green lineup that featured one junior Camonero. Uh, he acquitted himself well in double a, if I remember correctly, um, and everything syncs up. He's 
pretty darn good. Uh, it's not the deepest system overall. There's some there's some good up arrow guys. Uh, Lonnie White Jr. was pointed out to me as a guy who like, finally is healthy and looked really good in the lower levels of the minors. Um, Jun Siok Shim, I hope I got that right. Uh, he didn't pitch long. I think he had like eight innings this year, but I did happen to find scouts who saw him and they were really, really impressed. Um, I look at him as a big up arrow candidate for this year. And uh, if you know me at all, you know, I'm a sucker for toolsy guys who might not be anything. Uh, they got Estuar Suero from the Padres. Um, he was pointed out to me in spring training while I was salivating over Ethan Salas in their uh, uh, prospect game with the Mariners that this was, this was one to watch too. And I think he made my 50 guys impressing on the backfields. Um, he's kind of an interesting guy. I stuck at the back there. Could be, could be very good. Could be nothing. Um, Jack Brannigan's an interesting guy. I kind of overlooked it at midseason. My bad. Really standout defender on the left side. Probably fits for third base. A little more swing and miss than you'd like, but he's got some defensive gifts and some power as well. Uh, let's see who else is on this list. Uh, Brandon Bedois is an interesting guy in the lower levels. Throws really hard, probably a straight relief prospect, but a pretty pretty interesting guy to get out of Australia. Um, there's some other you know, Tony Blanco Jr. He's, I believe, the best ball striker in the sport, uh, and that might. I mean, his average, he's like 90th percentile exit velocity was like 106 something. Let's see, his average this year was 92.9, which, as I put in the thing, was uh, right in the Julio Rodriguez, Rafael Devers range. So he hits it really hard. He does not hit it very often, um, which is a problem. But I, I stuck him at 30 because, hey, it's an outlier skill, and that's the name of the game here. If you can find some hitting group that can get him to make more contact, well, he's, he's going to blow up. But he, this, this the strikeout rate was very bad, and those you don't generally bounce back from that. But, you know, why not? Why not stick him at 30 and take a flyer on him? Yeah, and again, I think this is a system that we've seen continually be reinforced by high draft picks. They've made a lot of sell trades, even into last year. You mentioned getting Estuar Suero from the Padres. They got Jackson Wolf from the Padres as well. The deal that sent uh, Rich Hill off to San Diego. So and G-Man Choi. So this is a team that is still been in rebuilding mode, and, and they are looking to turn upward. Uh, ben Charrington made a comment that they're looking to add this offseason and hopefully get back over 500 for the first time since 2018. Josh, you mentioned at the top of the show that you didn't think that the team as currently constructed, looking at the major league roster, looking at the farm system, was necessarily ready to take that jump in 2024. What is the timeline for this team to get back to a 500 record and or playoff contention? Because at the end of the day, that's the point of all of this. I think it might look two years from now. If they, if they hit on these pitchers, and that means in the big league rotation and otherwise, and Cruz comes back and Andy comes back, um, you might have something cooking. Um, you know, especially if like Skeens and Chandler hit, Keller takes steps forward, Priester step takes step forward. Uh, you know, Brian Hayes continues his offensive maturation. You'll have something there. Um, please also note that in the in the 2023 handbook, I wrote that the Marlins were looking at, looking at a long way to being ever in the playoffs again. Whoops. Uh, so, you know what they say, right? You can't predict baseball, Susan. Uh, my name's not Susan, but apparently I can't predict it. So, uh it's it's not as far off as some of the other teams. You know, it's not you know, like the A's or anything, but there's gonna need they're gonna need to stuff some stuff to go right if they're gonna get back there. I mean, expanded playoffs certainly help, but 
they've got they've got the pitching to do it. And like I said, if you start to see something cooking, you can trade some of these pitchers for whatever you need, you know, whatever you need to reinforce because you know you're, you're using prospects to bolster your lineup in two ways: uh, get them in your big league t- on your big league club, or trade them for the help that you need. That's that's part of the name of the game too. Just make sure you trade the right ones. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be the big test for the Pirates here as they look to move toward contention. Josh, we appreciate you joining us today to break down the Pirates farm system. Not a problem. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America Top 10 Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.